0: Either you got a lazy eye or lack of respect. Which is it, boy? I ain't got no lazy eye. No respect for the lacks of you. Well, maybe when your mother's finished mourning your father, I'll keep her in black on your behalf. You think on that, boy? Well, maybe you
1: shall, sir. And maybe other events will transpire. You best stick to them books
0: because, mark my words on this, vengeance is an idiot's game. Ah, Mrs. down. Thank you for checking out The Long and Short of It. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Podbean, Podcast Addict, and all the other good places you can get your podcasts, as well as on the YouTube channel, The Subtext. This podcast will be split into two halves, with the second part being released later today. Hope you enjoy the show. Hello, and welcome to The Long and Short of It, the podcast where we discuss each of the games in the Metacritic Top 100 list. My name's Lawrence, and I'm joined by...
1: This is Dan, welcome to the podcast.
0: Are you well
1: this week? I am. I've been waiting for this one for a long time. We've been playing this game for a long time, so I'm sitting here ready to record with my cup of coffee, large drink of water, and hopefully I won't be needing any toilet breaks.
0: Lovely. Yeah, we have been playing this one for about five weeks, isn't it?
1: Yeah, maybe even longer. It feels like a very, very long time. I feel like this period in my life can be defined as the RDR2 period.
0: Yeah, it it feels like it's been forever playing through this because we started it about a week after completing Red Dead Redemption 1 and then the episode mm. for that came out about two or three weeks after we'd finished it. So we've been working on this for ages. Um, but Yeah, yet. and we've
1: also played several games in the interim between this and that. So I suppose it feels like even longer.
0: Wait until we get to Persona 5 uh, Royal.
1: Yeah, we're going to have to set uh, aside a good three-month period for that.
0: I agree. Um, (laughs) So, yeah, as we've alluded to, this episode we're going to be discussing Red Dead Redemption 2. We started playing this, like I said, not long after we finished the first game, so it was all very fresh in our minds. But, yeah pretty big game for us to cover before we go any further i will say if you haven't played this game and you want to experience it yourself we will be discussing the entire story and basically everything will be spoiled if you continue listening through so that's your spoiler warning i suppose we're gonna we're gonna get into it with this one so yeah let's start with um the usual so Red Dead Redemption 2 was released in 2018, which seems like a lifetime ago now, as each month this year feels like it's about a year long. Um, It's number eight on our list, and it came in with an aggregate score of 97. So, you know, well within the top ten. Very good score. So we'll start with what console did you play this on? Played
1: this on the Xbox One X. Now, I do have it on the PS4. That's the the version that's been sitting in its shrink wrapping for years now since release. Um, but the game came to Game Pass, so I thought, in order to maximise my experience, I thought I'd have the um, the resolution boost that the Xbox One X offers to the game, which I'm glad I did. And how yeah. about you?
0: Um, I, pa- I paid. I played it on the PS4 Pro, which is where I played it for the first time when I originally got it as well um i feel that your graphics were probably slightly better than mine as we know the xbox one x is a bit better in terms of you know the the screen and what we're seeing on it so i think you so can't
1: really- the uh, ps4 pro was 4k checkerboarding yeah which was basically a duplication effect of um duplicating pixels or frames to to give off a 4k effect Whereas, surprisingly enough, uh, on the Xbox One X, it was running a, a native 4K. Yeah. Um, but I think if you if you went really close with a mic- uh, with with a uh, well a microscope or a magnifying glass, one of the two, um, you would see you would see the differences. But sitting a couple of meters away, I doubt you'd really pick anything up.
0: Yeah, I mean, if if you really want to see the minutia of the difference between them. I'd suggest watching the Digital Foundry video on YouTube because they really, you know, go through it with a fine comb, don't they? In terms of the differences yeah. in the graphics, it blows my mind how deep these guys can look into things. Um, yeah, I mean, I, I I
1: love their videos, not necessarily on the comparisons because I think that's console war stuff. Yeah, but I think the the videos where they break down the tech and the really unique things that each game is doing with the tech. Um, They're the ones that are worth checking out for me, I think.
0: Yeah, they're certainly interesting. So, as I've just said, I've played through this game before, but this was your first time through it, wasn't it? You'd not played this one before?
1: Never, and I had a very rocky experience with this game, which I'm sure we will discuss at great length. Um, Overall feelings are positive, though. In the end, the, the, the game had a positive impression on me or made a positive impression on me um yeah but it was it it took a while to get there um yeah first time and lots of thoughts I guess
0: yeah so when I played through this originally in 2018 I thought that it was a really solid game um obviously at the time red Dead redemption won. Was all we'd had from Rockstar in regards to the Old West besides Red Dead Revolver, but we'll leave that one to the side for now. As this one, feel, both of these games feel like they're in a separate universe, I suppose.
1: Yeah, I mean, this Red Dead Redemption one was Rockstar taking that formula, or not even taking the formula, taking the concept from Red Dead, Redem- Red Dead Revolver and blowing it out into this massive open world game. So they really did something huge with that so credit to them for that because um, I don't think, and I I was speaking to someone about this, I don't think um, Red Dead Revolver would have been remembered had Rockstar not made Red Dead
0: Redemption. That's an interesting point. I've not played Red Dead Revolver. I saw when I was a lot younger, I saw my stepbrother playing through it, but other than that, I've got no experience with it. Obviously because we're kind of relatively into games anyway we know about the existence but i think that's an interesting point and i agree if yeah you know these and, I, these and I games did... hadn't come out no one would have heard of it
1: i mean i did play it at the time but and my my feelings towards it this was before obviously well before red dead redemption came out yeah. my, my feelings towards it were mildly positive but that's about it really i don't sure. think i had especially deep feelings towards it
0: yeah i mean the difference between Red Dead, Revol- uh, Red Dead Redemption 1 and Red Dead Redemption 2 is the size and the scope. Now, when I initially played through Red Dead Redemption 2, I basically zoomed through it because I wanted to complete the story and find out what happens. However, going back to it this time, because we've had quite a long time to play it, I have done a lot of the stuff that I didn't do the first time. So obviously I've completed the story again, but I completed all of the side stuff. I completed quite a lot of the optional things. I've really gone into de- uh, detail with it and it's made me enjoy it 10 times more than I originally did. And I said to Dan probably about a week or two ago that when I really think about this game now and after playing it this time, this is probably with- within my top five favourite games of all time. Um, so it-, it makes it difficult to be very down the line with it and not be biased about my thoughts however I think we should be okay for this episode. Because like Dan said, he had a relatively rocky experience with it. Although, mostly positive. Um, So, I feel we should start at the beginning. Which is a very good place to start. Red Dead Redemption 2 takes place before the events of Red Dead Redemption. So, Red Dead Redemption is originally... I think we said it was in 1911, wasn't it? The original game. Something like that. It's around, around that time with the death of the West... Um, really taking its its grips into western area of the US so Red Dead Redemption 2 starts in 1899 it's given the the prerequisite that the West is dying the the, the era of outlaws is coming to an end and America is becoming civilized and you see that through um, one of the the main antagonists of the game that the pinkton detective agency who are cleaning up the country they're getting rid of outlaws they're killing gunslingers because the usa is becoming a much more civilized area to to live in so with red dead redemption one we're focusing on john marston cleaning up the remnants of dutch vandalin's original gang In Red Dead Redemption 2, you're not in the heyday of the Vandalin gang, but the Vandalin gang is still a big presence in the country. It's dying, isn't it, though? It's it's, um... it's slowly dying out. And I think the beginning of the end for the Vandalin gang starts just before the beginning of Red Dead Redemption 2 with um, a a job that they do in Blackwater, which goes horribly wrong. And from there, their luck just seems to go from one, one bad swing to another. So you really get a feel for all of the stuff that John Marston says in Red Dead Redemption 1 about the gang, about Dutch, about Javier, about Bill Williamson. You really get more of a feel for who these people are, where they were at that time in their lives and the the camaraderie, I suppose, with the um with the gang. What, what what would you say in regards to that?
1: Um just want to touch on so we mentioned the time periods. Yeah. I remember one of my thoughts when I played Red Dead Redemption One back in twenty ten was I wish that they had taken the timeline further back. I wish they wasn't on the verge of the West dying. I didn't like the fact that there was a motor car in Red Dead Redemption One. That you couldn't drive and Yeah, which which you couldn't drive, which you which you were just in for cutscenes really. Um, and I I thought it was a good thing that Red Dead Redemption 2 pulled it back a few years, but I think they could have, I mean, I would have liked to see much earlier West, um, where it was at its height. What, 1860s I think that's a re- thing. Yeah, I think that's a really interesting setting and that's always kind of what i was looking for and also the other the other um caveat here is that red dead redemption 2 doesn't feel um any less civilized than red dead redemption 1 in fact i'd argue that it feels more civilized which is a bit odd um we talked about the world i think red dead redemption 2 feels more um i suppose civilized is the word you've got you've got bigger cities You've got people all over the countryside, people quite civil with you um, for a lot of the time, whereas Red Dead Redemption 1 kind of nails that loneliness and the ruggedness of the West, I think, in many ways, a lot better than Red Dead Redemption 2. So that's my first feeling about the times that they were set. Uh, Certainly Red Dead Redemption 2, and we're going to be doing this a lot, Red Dead Redemption 1, Red Red Dead Redemption 2... um, is uh fleshes out those characters from Red Dead Redemption one more to the point where
0: yeah.
1: I said that I would have preferred if we'd have reviewed the games in reverse order um yes. because the, the stories are so interlinked that I feel like and I'm I'm sure we're gonna be talking about context a lot in this review, in this yeah. discussion, um I feel like Red Dead Redemption 2 brings a lot of context to Red Dead Redemption 1 that, taken on its own, it doesn't necessarily have. Now, we talked about Dutch's character. Um, Dutch's character in Red Dead Redemption 1 doesn't really serve as a bad guy. He's kind of.
0: He's a goal. This isn't person.
1: He? Yeah, this person that you're tasked with hunting down. You know there's a history there. Uh, he's this kind of enigmatic leader that is, yeah, he's a, he's he's an objective. Yeah. Yeah. And John doesn't necessarily want to take him down. I don't think. No. And it's this, this objective that's been laid out for John to have the life that he wants. Um, but I feel like we don't really get to explore that relationship much. We, we can see that there's something interesting there because it is presented as this interesting, enigmatic relationship. But we don't know what forms that. And we definitely get a better idea of what forms that in Red Dead Redemption 2. So um, I I would have liked to play them in reverse order, but I mean, I'm glad I've now played Red Dead Redemption 2. It has given additional context to RDR1. Yeah.
0: Um,
1: And I, I suppose the other thing that I said to you is, My favourite section of RDR1 was um, the Blackwater section at the end. I feel like that's the section that really felt alive. That's the section that really gave things time to breathe. And it's the section where the tone was most serious. And for me, I feel like Red Dead Redemption 2 is an extension of that period within Red Dead Redemption 1. So you've got a more serious tone uh, for the most part and i think that gelled better with me
0: yeah i mean with with everything with like blackwater and stuff like that from rdr1 we we discussed in the red dead 1 episode that the the area that you're traveling through as john marston in the original game is very lonely it's it's a very lonely environment that you're traveling around you're going through deserts it really feels like a cowboy film Whereas with RDR two, the environment isn't it isn't barren. There's a lot of greenery. Um, RDR one, the area is called New Austin, and RDR two, it's called West Elizabeth. And West Elizabeth is is countryside, really, isn't it? It's not gritty deserts with cacti and all of this stuff. It's just you know a, a few small towns in. Green, luscious countryside. You've got other areas as well. You've got the mountains up north, which are incredibly snowy. Uh, you've got swamps in Lemoyne, and then you've got the the Blackwater equivalent in West Elizabeth, which is a city called Denis, which yeah. is one of probably the the most um, graphically impressive places in the game. Um, what while we're discussing it, I suppose before we get into the story and the themes and the characters, just a note on graphics. You, um, you're um, you very big on your graphics and you notice things that maybe I don't a lot of the time. And I know in the past you've said that you feel one of the best-looking games that you've played, I think, unless I'm wrong, is um, Zelda Breath of the Wild, which is obviously a very different art style to RDR2. Am I right in saying no, that? I no,
1: mean, I mean, graphically, graphically art style-wise, I think Breath of the Wild is untouched, yeah. but... If you're talking about raw um, polygons, uh, many games outdo Breath of the Wild. So, um, no, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say... I think Bre- Breath of the Wild is a lovely looking game, but I wouldn't say that it's... Um, I don't even know if it would be top 10 for graphics for me. Okay. Um, yeah, but there's definitely... I would say that Red Dead Redemption 2 is top 10 for me, graphically. Yeah. It really is a very nice looking game. And I just want to give special credit to what I would say are the best looking storms in games that I have seen. And my only annoyance with that is that they weren't common enough. Yeah. So when so when those dark clouds did roll up, when that really, really heavy rain hit, it's hugely atmospheric. Um but I would I've just liked <laughs> that have been More of the time. Um, I think Red Dead Redemption 2's landscape is probably more representative of the whole of America. But it's not necessarily the America that we saw in Spaghetti Westerns. So the idea of the West, I think that's more realised in RDR1. But I think RDR2 is probably more accurate of America as a whole. Because as we know, there are a lot of states in uh, America that aren't arid that aren't desertous so it's probably more representative of those yeah
0: I think for me Red Dead Redemption 2 is probably one of the best looking games I've played the day that we're recording this The Last of Us Part 2 came out yesterday I've not played any of it I know that you've started it haven't you and I imagine in terms of best looking games The Last of Us Part 2 will probably take that crown for this generation um, as
1: I don't know actually. I mean I it it does look, it does look lovely. Uh definitely the facial animations are better in The Last of Us Part yeah. 2. Um but it's I think Red Dead Redemption 2 obviously. a it's, it's such a different game. It's a more living breathing world that extends far into the distance. Yeah. There's a lot attention of um there's a lot crazy. of physics. Yeah, and and the attention to detail in both of them is crazy, but there's a lot of physics stuff in RDR2. That maybe isn't there in um, the Last of Us Part Two because it's a more linear game. Yeah. Um, it's it's really hard to say, but I think in terms of resolution, RDR Two actually beats it because it's um, running at native 4K. Sure. Whereas I'm sure that um, I'm sure that the Last of Us Part Two is not running at native 4K. In fact, I'm almost certain it's okay. not. Um, but it, it it does look nice. I would say. Obviously, I've not seen that many areas. I've only played a couple of hours of The Last of Us Part 2. Um, I'm really enjoying it so far. But I would say that it is a very... it's It really subtly but pleasingly enhances um, all of those graphical settings in The Last of Us Part 1. Yeah. So it makes it all look a bit smoother and a bit more fluid, um, which is a great compliment because The Last of Us Part 1 was a great-looking game as yeah, well. Yeah,
0: massively. So, I suppose we've skirted around it long enough. The big, the big thing with Red Dead Redemption 2, and it's the same with most Rockstar games, is the story. The story and the characters, I'd say, in this game are intertwined. You can't really pick them apart too much. Now, as we've already said, this game takes place before the events of the original game and gives you an insight to what the Vandalin gang was doing you know, 11, 12 years before the original game. So you really get a feel for, as I've said, the camaraderie of this gang, the inner workings, who everyone is, and how they're kind of like a family. Now, the story, this time around, you're playing as a different character. John Marston, obviously, is heavily included in this game, but you're playing as a different character. So your main protagonist, I suppose, in RDR 2 is a guy called Arthur Morgan. And straight from the outset, I personally think, and I've said this to Dan, that he is the most realised character from Rockstar. He's he's the best written character, I think. And there's a lot of elements to Arthur that you particularly get to learn about towards the second half of the game. Because RDR2 can be split into two, the first half and the second half, and they're very, very different elements i suppose it's the same game but they feel very different do do you know what i mean
1: yeah i think he's my favorite i mean whether or not he's the best that would uh probably take some detailed um breakdown of the characters but i think i think there's an argument that john is just as good i think there's an argument that nico is pretty high up there as well to be honest
0: Mm. so the story of rdr2 is really the story of how the vandalin gang comes undone arthur has been with dutch and has basically been one of his right-hand men since he was a teenager in in the game arthur's late 30s early 40s i'd say and he's the gang's enforcer so he dutch and another character called hosea matthews are really the the ringleaders, I suppose, with Dutch being the guy that's in charge. Everyone looks up to Dutch. Dutch is supposed to be this this paragon of virtue. This is a gang that robs from the rich and steals from the poor. As the game progresses, really from the early stages, you see that maybe this gang isn't running as it used to run. And Dutch is coming more undone as the game continues. Um, But really, you could just say that the first half of the game is about survival of the gang. They're being chased across the country by the uh, the Pinkerton Detective Agency for a bank job which they pulled in Blackwater, which went wrong. Um, And at the start of the game, you're riding with Javier and Arthur, who wasn't on the Blackwater job, asks what happened. And Javier says that Dutch killed a girl in a very bad way. Which apparently isn't like Dutch. Dutch has never really been like that before. So you're you're really starting to see the the, the seams come undone with how this story progresses, and really, Dutch is. I don't know if you'd call it a descent into madness, but how would you describe? How would you describe it? I mean,
1: I I think the I think the best quote to describe. How the other characters feel about Dutch is when Arthur says uh, Dutch has changed. In fact, uh, he's not the person he was anymore. He might not have been that person in the first place. Yeah. So you're given this idea that either Dutch has changed or that everyone around him is starting to realise that he was never that person to begin with. I think that's a really interesting... That that quote just really stuck with me. I mean, we don't know. We we never saw. We never get to see what Dutch was supposed to be like. You don't um, hear about it. He's cracked. Yeah, and 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 those cracks are present since uh, since the very beginning of RDR two. So there is a story there that hasn't played out yet. Um, I said to you, it would have been nice to see the Dutch of old, this Dutch that they all look up look look up to. There are flashes of it here and there, I suppose but nothing that really says that he was this great man or even that he would he's best suited to being the leader of this gang it
0: makes me think because i think there's a, i was going to say it makes me think of you know the quote from um from the dark knight either you die the hero or live long enough to see yourself become the villain that feels quite apt in this scenario
1: yeah yeah and it and it, and it it's a uh, very Morally murky position that Dutch takes, and there are things that he does which could be conceived as being heroic, but actually in the right context, they're not heroic at all; he's doing them for his own ends, and uh, maybe he was doing that all along, maybe he was performing these outwardly heroic deeds, but if you look at them from the inside, uh his motives weren't true um that's certainly the Dutch that we see um yeah, it's it's, uh, it's an interesting one.
0: Yeah, I mean, the, the, the whole thing throughout the game is that Dutch is wanting loyalty and faith from the members of the gang. And as the game progresses and the, de- the decisions that Dutch makes, it makes Arthur think maybe this isn't, like what you just said, he, he isn't the person that we thought he was and you see dutch becoming more and more agitated with arthur with john with the other members of the gang who aren't just giving him blind loyalty and the big element to him i think that that the issue with dutch being exacerbated is would you call micah the, the primary antagonist I would, so, to me yes. Yeah, you, you have another member in this gang called Micah Bell who's only been riding with the gang about six months and you can tell from the start that this guy is bad news. He he isn't a good person and Arthur says it at the start of the game. I mean, very early on Micah gets arrested and he's in a jail in a town called Strawberry waiting to be uh, hanged. Is it hanged or hung? Hanged, isn't it?
1: Uh, it can be either. I think. I think there are, there are contexts where it can be either. <laughs> we'll, we'll say hanged.
0: Um, and Dutch says, "Look, I need you to go and go and get him out. I need you to go and save him." And Arthur says, "You know how I feel about him. He wouldn't do the same for me. He's bad news." Whereas Dutch says, "Look, there's a there's, there's something in his eyes. I can tell that he's a good person. I need you to go and get him." And Arthur, being Arthur, says, "Yep, okay, I'll go and do that for you, Dutch, because he's a loyal enforcer." Um. And really, Micah, I think, is the primary reason for the gang's undoing because he's constantly whispering in Dutch's ear, particularly towards the latter part of the game um, of what they should do. Because the main aim of the, the Vanderling gang throughout the story is to get enough money to disappear, to go to Australia or go to Tahiti, somewhere where they're not going to be followed by the law. They can escape and they can live in peace on a ranch or something that's that's the plan and dutch is always talking about how he's got a plan that's the main idea and how dutch wants to do that often gets um pushed back on by hosea who as i said earlier is kind of the second right-hand guy of dutch and it's it's not a power struggle but i think hosea and arthur really there to to ground Dutch and stop him running off with these ideas of grandeur, and getting the gang into more trouble than maybe they already are. I think um, I think Dutch.
1: You could you could argue that he is the antagonist here. I see Micah more of a worm tongue kind of s character yeah. in Dutch's ear. I think Micah's less likable than Dutch is, but I don't like Dutch either. But I think also because you know the events of RDR1, you know that Dutch is going to meet his demise, that um, you know that he's kind of untouchable for this game. Yeah. Whereas you think that Micah could be placed into this position where he's going to actually meet his downfall. Yeah,
0: it's it's the interesting thing with this game because you don't know how it's going to end. Obviously, you know that John is going to survive. You know that Dutch, Javier, Bill... And John's wife Abigail and their son Jack, who I know you loved in this game. Uh, <laughs> you, you know, all of those guys are going to make it to Red Dead Redemption 1. So it then throws into doubt, well, okay, I know that this gang is, you know, it's coming to its end. So what's going to happen to Hosea? What's going to happen to Arthur? And I remember asking you consistently while you were playing through this game, so what do you think is going to happen to Arthur then? Where do you think it's going to go? What do you think the story is going to do with Arthur? Because he isn't even mentioned in the original game, and that's yeah, because I don't think a few he even existed are... in their heads when they wrote Red Dead Redemption One. Yeah, 3.
1: and the same. I mean, the same for a few of those other characters. There's there's a lot of characters here um, that are never ever mm. referenced in RDR One, um, probably because they weren't thought up, like you say. But um, but from a from a narrative standpoint, it's really interesting to. Try to figure out why those characters weren't mentioned. And and ultimately, I think there's no real reason why Arthur wouldn't be mentioned. There's no real reason that during um, John's dialogue with Dutch that he wouldn't bring up Arthur. Because I think that's a really big they're, they're, they're all motivating factor. Yeah, and I think a lot of the reason why John turned against Dutch was because of Arthur. So, Quite possibly. You take that out of the equation. Yeah, I mean, um, it, it's, in,
0: in the story... John and Arthur, Dutch considers as his sons, doesn't he? John and Arthur, they've been with him for you know, since youth. He taught them to read. He's really brought them up as if they're his kids, even though Dutch and Arthur don't seem to be too far apart in terms of age um, visually. But yeah, I always thought they were about this. I always thought jo- uh, Arthur was older yeah, than him. Yeah, it, it, it's a bit of a weird <laughs> until you told yeah, me. Yeah, it's a bit of a weird, um, a bit of a weird thing. But the 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 connection that John, Arthur, Dutch, and to some extent Hosea have, is the tightest in the game. They're they're like family, really, aren't they? And you can tell how much Arthur takes that seriously because um, there are times that are mentioned where John. Before the, the the game starts, he'd he'd left the gang for a year because he he didn't know if Jack was his son, he didn't know if Abigail had still been sleeping around, and he just left. And Arthur, never well, he, not he never really forgives him, but that's something that plays on Arthur's mind a lot, isn't it? That well, John left the first time; he's got no loyalty. That's a big thing to to Arthur, and. It makes me think of one of the the lines that Arthur says right at the end of the game, to to Dutch that I I gave you all I had. Like this gang and his relationship with Dutch is what Arthur is. Like it's everything to him. You know.
1: We gave up everything for exactly the gang. Exactly everything that he wanted, everything that he would have had. He gave up for the gang. Yeah. Um, just to, just to clarify as well, when you say when you say. Um, John's wife, Abigail, was sleeping around. What you, what, what, I think you're referring to is the fact that she used to be a prostitute. I'm yeah, she,
0: she was... Um, Abigail gets brought into the gang by Uncle, who we messaged, uh, messaged who we mentioned in the original... Um,
1: <laughs> Do you have a personal relationship with Uncle?
0: <laughs> yeah, we talk about Lumbago quite a lot. <laughs> um, but, but yeah, Uncle brings <laughs> Abigail into the fold pre-RDR2, and she's a prostitute, and it's mentioned that she has had relations with Dutch, with John, obviously possibly even with Arthur, um, maybe with Javier and there are conspiracy theories that Jack, um, Jack Marston is potentially Javier's son because he doesn't look too much like John. But I think that is a, a big element. It's
1: too fair though, isn't
0: he? Well, he's very but fair. Javier isn't, you know, he isn't that, he's, um, he's quite, he's quite dark. <laughs> Well, like I say, they're conspiracies, so they're probably not true. But I think that's something that plays on John's mind a lot, and that's one of the reasons why he left. Um, But really, Red Dead Redemption 2 is the story of Arthur and how his, I suppose, his moral compass changes and how he changes as a man. Because at the start of the game you're going around, you know, you're beating people up for debt money, you're doing a lot of morally questionable things because that's what Arthur's always done. Then, towards the second half of the game, it switches and it changes. And for Arthur, he knows that the gang's doomed. He knows that this isn't going to last. And for him, it's about helping people, about getting people out while they still can and doing his best to to save the people he thinks should get out yes
1: yeah um and you talk about the goodness of arthur's character but i mean th- this is this is one of the issues that i definitely had so i'm skipping a bit yeah. here and i think i think we can anyway because basically there's a there's, there's, there's there are two sections so intro wise we've we're, we're up in the mountains it's snowy and i think this is a really great intro now there is one big flaw with this intro which really you could say um permeates the entire game but um i really enjoyed this opening and i thought it was hugely atmospheric and i thought the moment we kind of got down from the mountains um some of that atmosphere was definitely lost. so I was a big fan of this intro. I know that uh, some people aren't so fond of this intro um, for the fact that it's very handholdy it that it doesn't allow you to um, experience the map straight away, which which completely valid points um, but for me I just I just really loved this high in the mountains, really thick snow. And I talked about the storms. This is probably the best snow that I've seen in a game as well. Um, And anyone that uh, kind of listens to me talk knows that I've got a thing for atmosphere. Uh, The atmosphere here was really thick and there's nothing quite like that initial part where you're on your horse... You're riding towards the house. If you're playing with high dynamic rate range enabled, you can see the fires of the house in the distance. And it just looks unbelievable. Um, so, so I was a big fan of this. Then we go to the Horseshoe Overlook, which is the first camp area. Um, now, I would argue that not a lot actually happens here. And this was one of my complaints. Um and then we move on to the second camp, which is by the river.
0: What, what's this camp called? I can't called? remember what it's called, but it's by a lake.
1: Yeah, it's by a lake. And I would again, I would say nothing much happens here until the very end of this section. So you've got two very large sections, uh, which make up, I would say, close to half of the game, where nothing much happens apart from subtle story beats. But there are no major story beats. And for me this almost made me want to give up on the game because I'm quite a patient person, but I just felt like I had no context for what was going on. I felt like I had no clue what was going on in the story. I felt like I was going out to do these random tutorial missions, teaching me how to do fishing and whatever else. I felt like I was earning money here and there, and I was the only one putting it back into the camp because they were all putting 25 cents in. Um, And it, it was just it just really got on my nerves a bit Um, and it wasn't until um, there's a mission towards the end of that second camp where you are storming the Braithwaite Manor and that was the first time and I I talked to you about this Um, for me when I'm playing a game you can never tell what it is but a game needs to get its hooks in you for you to be uh, really enjoying it to be thinking about it all the time to want to keep coming back Now, this moment with the Braithwaite Manor was the first time that I sat up straight and I thought, okay, something's happening here. Uh, Time to pay attention. And I think with films, with games, with any kind of media, you've got those sit up straight moments where you're like, okay, I need to really, um, well, I I want to, I want to engage with this. I want to see what this is offering now. Um, And I just felt like, between that mountain opening, which I said was, which I thought was fantastic, and um, between uh, this Braithwaite Manor mission and San um, nothing much really happens. I can't think of a mission that I found really enjoyable between those times. Um, and I'm sure we'll get onto the controls, which was the big floor I mentioned uh, at some point. But yeah, uh, that second half clicked a lot more for me, yeah. but that first half. Just put it, Trim it down into two hours. You can tell If you're a good enough storyteller, you can tell that story in two hours. You don't need to tell it over 15 hours. Yeah,
0: I mean, like like we said, the, the, the story really splits into two. You've got the first half, which I, th- I say you could probably call pre-Sandini, and then the second half, which is post-Sandini. And it's really just before you get to Sandini where it starts to, to pick up, I suppose. It can still be a bit slow. And I mean... Like I say, this is probably one of my favorite games ever when I think about it, but I can admit that it is a particularly slow game, and unless it's the pacing yeah. it's
1: it's it's um it can work really well in there, but there there are some
0: huge pacing issues in sure. there
1: and and i I saw people talking about this saying, "Oh well, people are just impatient, and people just need to take it slowly." That's fine, but you need to have story beats in any story to engage your your viewer, your listener. That's what you need. You, you can't... I don't know, it's just not good storytelling, is it? I don't see how that's arguable.
0: Sure, and I think the second half of this game, it really gets into the classic Rockstar stuff, doesn't it? Because Rockstar are good at making missions where a lot happens and it's intense and it's cinematic and it's great. And there aren't too many parts of that at the start of the game. And then when you hit saint that's when it really amps up, I suppose. And I think, you know, you've got big missions like what Dan just said there. You and the entire posse go and burn down this, um, this moonshine family's um, house, which is hundreds of years old. There's a huge... Um, you know, feud between two families in Lemoyne. Plantation houses. Yeah, plantation houses, the the Greys and the Braithwaite families. And you burn one of their houses down. And it's one of the most cinematic moments in the game, I'd say. And it's really, really intense. And there there are a lot of other moments like that in the game, but they don't really come until maybe the 15-hour mark, if not a little bit more. Yeah. And like we said, this is a huge game.
1: Aside from that opening, I think that's for me the first one that really hits that mark. You get a couple of um, interesting missions before then, but most of them are very much tutorial. Here's how you do this. Here's how you do. Here's how you fence yeah. um, carts. Here's how you do this. It's very. I'd say that after that mission, is where the training wheels come off. If we're going to keep using metaphors, <laughs> it's yeah. there. Um, And yeah, it does. After that, you do get them much more regularly. I had a lot more fun with the missions after that point, but um, before then, I I honestly, I can't think of a single mission that I would say, oh, that really needs to be there because this happens, this happens.
0: Um, It's it's around that kind of mark, around the 15-hour mark, that stuff really starts to happen that has an effect, doesn't it? Because I think with Red Dead Redemption 2, you know that not everyone's getting out alive because they're not featured in Red Dead Redemption 1. And it's kind of the Game of Thrones theme that... I know that you're not particularly into Game of Thrones, and I'm not massively... Yeah, oh, I you? am. I like it. I didn't think you were. <laughs> yeah. Um, but it's the Game of Thrones theme Minimal. that no one's safe. You know, like with episodes like The Red Wedding, a lot of people die, and you're just like, oh... Damn, I wasn't expecting that. And it's around the 15-hour point in Red Dead Redemption 2 that people from the camp that you know, that you've spent time with, they just start dying. Um, I think the first one to go is... I think it's Sean. Sean or Kieran, isn't it? Yeah, sure. Um, And you're just... Um, You're going through a town called Rhodes. Arthur's saying this feels like a trap. Bill and Micah and Sean, and it's like, no, it's fine, it's fine. And then just all of a sudden, without any fanfare, Sean just gets shot in the face, and he's dead. Um, and you're just like, what? And then not long after, you're at the third camp, which is in an old plantation house, and a horse is coming down the track with a decapitated man on it that's holding the head and it it turns out to be one of the other members of the gang, Kieran, that's been sent by um, the Vandalin gang's rival, the O'Driscolls, who Kieran used to to run with. And it's at that point that you kind of realise, okay, not everyone's safe. And I think as you go through this game, you do become attached to certain members of the gang if you're spending enough time with them. Like I said to Dan, one of my favourite members of the the gang is Charles, uh, Charles Smith, who is uh he's like a he's half native american half black isn't he is what he says at the start of the games half african-american half Native. yeah american. so he he's got a very interesting background and he's one of my favorite members of the gang and you grow attached to these people but then not long after that another very likable member of the gang um or two very likable members of the gang get shot hosea who like we said is one of the the, the big four members of the gang he's really one of the people who steer it Josea gets shot in the streets and then Lenny who is a kid that you you ride with a few times and a genuinely decent person and they just die <laughs> and they're gone and it, it, it makes you you know think that not everyone's getting well obviously not everyone's getting out of this alive and I think those are big moments you know
1: yeah definitely uh, I think Josea is the biggest one. That happens along yeah. the way. You've definitely got those smaller ones as well. I like Charles. I think the reason he's interesting is because he's got his own. He's got his own interests that don't necessarily align with the um, with the groups. And especially as the game gets further in, someone who is interested in other things and his own interests are also uh, virtuous. I mean, he's obviously. Fighting for his people, which are the Native Americans in the game, and it's it's nice to it's refreshing to have someone that isn't under the Vandalind Micah spell, which a lot of them are, and especially as the game went along, there were this 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 annoyed me. I was I was riding out to missions by this point. You, the player, know who is good and who yeah. is not. And I was attempting to kill Micah and Dutch, like on the way to missions, because I was just so sick of them. And I thought, Arthur knows this, and that, that's that's one thing that I I'll I say. It sounds like I'm being very critical of this game because I'm I'm gonna be gushing with praise for it later. So um, this is why I think it's important to temper yeah. that with with the things that it doesn't do so well. Um, so I think Arthur realizes much earlier than the game will have you. Um, or have him make those decisions, that Dutch is gone, that Micah is bad, that John and Abigail and Jack need to get out, that um, they need to work to help the Native Americans. And he doesn't do anything for too long, and he just carries on doing missions for them. He carries on opening himself up for betrayal, which he knows is coming. And you could argue he could have got out so many times before the end yeah, and, and even even before that, there, there were times when he didn't need the money by that point. Um, my, my, my Arthur didn't need the money by that point, uh, but, but the game kept talking about money and how people needed it. My, my Arthur had plenty of money by that point, yeah. so it just felt a bit odd that he was hanging around, that he didn't pay to get John and Abigail out already. I'd already given um, the family of the man who died of tuberculosis money to get out so it's just it, it, yeah there, there are some inc- inconsistencies that that bugged me along the way and i mean as as we're as we're getting there now and, and i'm aware that we're already uh so far into this podcast it turns out we talked about this this enigmatic ending for arthur um that we weren't too sure what it was going to be so it turns out that arthur catches tuberculosis from one of the the men that he was sent, yeah, sent to collect a debt from, um, which is quite poignant. And he it's revealed that he has tuberculosis and there's another another of those sit-up straight moments where you're like, that that's unusual. I mean I can't really remember the last time that I played as a sick protagonist. So it was really interesting to play as a protagonist that was dying. And the only thing I'd say about that is I don't know why they waited till the last quarter to reveal it, because everything from that moment on had so much more weight. And I just think it didn't have to be right at the beginning of the game, but maybe halfway through the game, give us that punch, that 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 gut punch. Yeah. And then we can um, really feel the weight of that. Um, but it just feels quite late on and maybe it wouldn't have worked as well if it was earlier. So not everything, not all the things that I suggest are going to work out, but I just felt like it could have come a bit earlier so that we had more time to really feel what it's like to play as this sick protagonist. But in that quarter, I think it's done fantastically well. And I think I said to you, I think it's a very elegant, um, story arc for Arthur, um, but he does change very quickly when he realises he's got tuberculosis. He suddenly assesses all of his moral decisions, which maybe he would do. I've never been in that situation. I don't have tuberculosis. Yeah. So um, so I've not been in that position. But he does seem to suddenly switch um, from being this person who's quite happy to go out and collect de- debts, be the tough guy, be the enforcer of the group. And then suddenly he's not. Um Maybe that is the way that it works, but I don't know. It just felt a touch jarring to yeah,
0: me. Yeah, it's it's one of those things that you know I've I've never experienced, and I, I hope and I touch wood that I never get put down with like a, a terminal illness or something. And obviously, tuberculosis in you know the late eighteen hundreds was a very different thing to what it is today. But I think being given really a death sentence like that will would make you question what you want to do with the rest of your time and like you said Arthur does change very quickly and this ties in very much with the problem that all rockstar games have in that because it's free roam if you wanted for the entire game uh, you could just go around shooting everyone and it doesn't matter and after Arthur gets given his his diagnosis of TB you could still go, to, go around and do that and it's the way that one of my friends plays it, he just gets his um, honor level down to the, the lowest he can because that's how he likes to play the game. But the way that the story really proceeds after Arthur's diagnosis is that, in terms of the storyline, it's heavily suggested that Arthur is changing, that he isn't just wanting to kill without reason, that he isn't, that he's harsh, yeah,
1: an epiphany,
0: yeah, he, he has an epiphany. And it's at that stage that he realises that the gang's done, that Dutch is is too far gone, that Micah's in his ear, that Micah is turning Dutch against him, and that there are more important things than the gang. That John's got a family, he should get out with them. That, you know, other characters like uh, Trelawney, uh, you go back to the final camp, and Trelawney sat there, and Arthur says, Look, this is done, you go, you've got my blessing. Same with Reverend Swanson. He realises that there's more to life than just blind loyalty. And it's at that point that you really see the true colours of Arthur and him wanting to help people, him wanting to make a difference, to do good. And I suppose, not to leave a legacy, but to be remembered as as someone who, who did good, you know?
1: Yeah, and again, it reinforces the idea. Was it Dutch that changed, or was it Arthur that changed? Was it Arthur, Arthur that could, that learned to evaluate that he didn't have to be a follower, of like, like you say, blind follower yeah. of this person whose morality has revealed itself to be a bit questionable? I mean, we don't know the answer to that. We're never going to know the answer to that because we don't have that third act, which I will come back to later.
0: That's the end of part one of our discussion on Red Dead Redemption 2. Please do keep an eye out for part two, which will be released later today.